Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com, helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs, and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. Welcome to another edition of the Media Insider Podcast. Another remotely recorded episode as we're still in lockdown. This month, I'm joined by Stuart Rogers. He's managing editor at Grit Daily, formerly an analyst at large. We're going to find out what that is later at VentureBeat. And he's also the co-founder of the Badass Empire, a public speaker, an author, and many other things. So welcome, Stuart. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, thanks for having me. So we're going to focus on um, Grit Daily mostly, and I might ask you a little bit about VentureBeat and how things work there. Um, so firstly, concentrating on Grit Daily, can you give us a top line overview of what the regular slots are or the pages and, and the sections and just kind of talk us through how it's, you know, the, the rough structure of it? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, you know, Grit Daily is very much a traditional publication in that we mostly focus on the news. You know, we do sometimes do uh, background pieces and and other things, but we're, we're trying to basically tell everybody what is happening in the world every single day, just like the likes of, you know, VentureBeat and TechCrunch and TNW and Recode and everybody else in that space. So the difference between us and all of the other tech news publications is that we're not just focused on technology. So it's tech and entertainment and lifestyle news. So we'll cover things that the other tech news publications won't cover. And one of the things I really like about the fact that we cover entertainment and lifestyle as well is that actually the majority of our readers, I think uh, the last time I checked, it was some, somewhere around about 60, 65% of our readers are female. Um, so we have a much, much more uh, equal readership, you know, versus a lot of the tech news publications, which of course, uh, predominantly speak to men. Interesting. Okay. How many writers are there? Well, like with uh, many publications these days, we have uh, a number of core writers, but we also have uh, the ability for people to join us as contributors, uh, very much like uh, Forbes or Inc. or you know any of those other publications. We currently stand at around about 350 contributors, wow. um, plus, a, plus a small core team of, uh, of staff writers. Do you pay your contributor writers on Grit Daily? So we have a small number, and, and you'll find this model is pretty much the same across uh, all publications right now. Uh, we have a small number of uh, staff writers um, that uh, you know do get paid. Uh, contributors do not um, at this point get paid, but we've been looking at all sorts of uh, different ways to to address that. That is pretty typical across all publications right now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but then over the last several years with advertising revenues dropping, ad blockers and everything else, uh, publications, uh, many of them are finding it quite difficult uh, from a financial standpoint. So, um, you know, it's not possible to do it. They're getting the publicity value, I guess, for 
for being a contributor. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I know that uh, I know that reach can't pay the bills. I know that uh, publicity doesn't put food on your table. However, the smart contributors know that if they continue to contribute to various publications, they continue to increase their platform. Uh, which means that if they're a good speaker, for example, um, they start to pick up or they're able to increase the amounts of their paid speaking roles because they have that body of workers out there that shows that they really are uh, one of the, the knowledge leaders in that space. So, And what are the readership figures? But we grew massively in the space of a year. Like 2019 was absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. Um, I think we grew something along the lines of about 400% um, wow. in the space of a year. You know, that translates to, uh, it, it varies, to be honest, because um, as with all publications, you'll get a bumper month where just some of your stories were absolutely killer. Um, you know, we had one story this week uh, that got uh, 400,000 views, for example. Oh, what was that? Uh, that's a really good question and one that I would absolutely love to answer, but I can't <laughs> remember. Uh, unfortunately, my days are pretty much uh, packed, so I don't always get a chance to uh, uh, dig into the details. I <laughs> no, I mean, we're we're probably running at around about uh, hovering between sort of one and a half, two million readers a month, and we're still growing massively. So, you know, we're, we'll be right there with all of the other sort of tier one uh, tech news publications, um, probably before the end of this year, I would imagine, mm-hmm. maybe even surpass them. Wow. Where's your audience from? Is it mostly America, UK, or a bit of a mix? Fairly typical. You know, you have a, a predominance in the United States. Um, you know, officially, we're headquartered out of New York, although uh, obviously with a, uh, 350 contributors or so, you know, everybody is really from just sort of everywhere. You know, as with a lot of publications, the predominant readership is in the United States and then, of course, all of the major European countries and, you know, Australia and some uh, Asian countries. Okay, I want to get into a little bit more, like pick pick apart all the different sections and how you commission for those. But first of all, I want to ask, what is a managing editor? That's your title. For people that haven't worked in a newsroom, there's so many different titles. What is that exactly? (laughs) Uh, it's a glorified way of saying that uh, I get to uh, get to edit other people's pieces I get to uh, you know make decisions in terms of uh, what uh, we might write about on occasion Um, although the majority of that goes uh, through other people on the team but I help with you know the the structure and running of the business and uh, you know, the structure of the publications. So on that note, then, can you um, outline what the planning process is? You said before it's a typical tech pub. Is there a weekly meeting or a daily meeting? And can you talk us through how that how that planning process works? Yeah, no, we don't, uh, we don't actually have any formal meetings. And that's important because meetings uh, take up an awful lot of time. And uh, I would suggest that in most organisations, not just publications, uh, 90 to 95 percent of meetings could have been an email or could have been a slack message you know we have a lot of people on slack and we coordinate things there because we're a news publication we're looking for the news so we will get pitched by a uh, a pr person uh, or by a startup uh, you know or somebody that, that is getting in touch with us directly but typically it will come through a pr person 
Yeah. Um, we'll all make our own individual decisions on whether that story is interesting or not. And just to put mm -hmm. that in perspective, I get 200 pitches a day. So wow, to, to get my attention, you have to have something really interesting and different. Um, coming to me with the 701st mobile analytics product isn't going to cut it, I'm afraid. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, 200 pitches a day. I pick out of that what's really particularly interesting to me and what I think is is different and something that is, you know, trying to buck the trend. Um, all of the other writers will do the same thing, but occasionally we'll get something that is uh, a little bit borderline or we'll have an idea for an original article that uh, we're not quite sure about, and that's where we'll use Slack to internally pitch it to see you know, how the other editors feel about it and uh, get a yes or a no on that. When people pitch you things, are they pitching you new stories that you would write or a writer would write or are they pitching things that they could write? Uh, you know, is there a formula for what you run in terms of, you know, so many news stories, so many interviews, so many contributor-based pieces? So our contributors, just to deal with them first, um, they're all, they all have an expertise in a particular area. So um, they will come to us with story ideas based upon what they know. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is, is they're looking at the news in their specialist area. And if they see something where it says the sky is red and they know for a fact the sky is blue and they can actually back it up with data, then that's a good story for them to write. And, and so they're all mm -hmm. looking out for that kind of opportunity. Do they pitch to you as an editor or do they um, have a bit of free reign about what they write? They will pitch to our uh, contributor's editor and, uh, okay. and then, and then he, you know, he and uh, his team will decide on whether that goes uh, goes forward or not. The 200 pitches that are coming through on my desk are mostly coming through because people want me to write their story. Yeah. Um, and just like any other journalist, I'll decide yes or no based upon that. Now, sometimes something interesting will come by me, but I don't have the time. So that's when I will put it in Slack and say, this looks really interesting. This is definitely a story we should run. Who would like to pick it up? And then someone will say, yes, I'll grab it. Do you instantly know whether something's going to be an interview or a uh, a news piece or a quick quote or something like that? For me personally, but this will change on a writer by writer basis. Everything that comes my way um, is a potential news article and I treat them all pretty much the same, which is that I'm going to look at the pitch and look at the press release. I'm going to fact check it. If I think it's a go and I want to write it, uh, then I'm going to send an email Q&A to uh, the people that pitched me with some clarifying questions for quotes. Um, and typically they'll get an executive within the company to answer those, uh, those questions. Mm -hmm. um, and then I will put it all together in a story and publish it. Um, but there are occasions where I know that a story would do a lot better um, as uh, an interview, for example. Yeah. It depends on it depends on the story. The vast majority of pitches I get are product launches, funding announcements, or you know something that is major that uh, that particular company thinks is, yeah. is going to be of particular interest to me. If you pitch me personally, with I have an expert that can talk about this latest thing that just hit, that's not for me. I I don't tend to write follow-ups on other people's articles with expert commentary included it's just not for me now that's not true of all of the writers 
Um, but for me, you know, I typically, most of my articles are exclusive to me and not under embargo and out to different publications. So what are your pitching niggles? If you get 200 a day, you must see some bad and some good. What are the, what are the bad ones? Can you ha- highlight some trends? Absolutely. Uh, here's rule number one. Um, if I see the word today in your uh, opening paragraph, uh, I'm automatically not going to read the rest of the email. Because of the sheer amount of things I'm doing, I need seven to ten days' notice. Oh, that's a lot. Uh, with that seven to ten days' notice, that that is uh, the time I will take to really understand it, to ask you decent questions and get good answers, and then put it together. There are very rare occasions where I could turn something around in three days, um, and that's just basic logistics. Like if I if you send it to me and I think, wow, this is super interesting, I want to get it out as soon as possible, or if you or if you sent it to me only three days ahead of embargo, but it's and it's really got to be like blazingly interesting for me to care. Just logistically, like reading it, understanding it, fact checking it, sending you an email Q and A, and then getting those back. Um, we're already looking at two days before I even write a single word, right? So mm-hmm. like three days would be absolute minimum, but uh, just with the sheer amount of work I, I have, uh, seven to 10 days is is what I'm looking for. Um, and that's typically not an issue when all, you know pretty much all my stories are exclusives because I'm working with the PR company or with the, uh, the company in, that's going to be mentioned uh, to coordinate my story going out when they go and flip a switch on their server and all of a sudden, you know, their, their new website's available with the new product or their app becomes available on a particular day. Yeah. Another pet peeve is people not taking 10 whole seconds to Google my name, um, spelt correctly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just have a look at what I write about. You know, it's, it's really not that difficult. Most PR companies have formed a really good relationship with me. And I like that because they will only send me pitches that are absolutely on point for me. And they know I will be interested in, they won't waste my time with, with stuff that that isn't on topic, but uh, the smaller PR firms or people trying to do their own PR will do all sorts of ridiculous things. I've seen on Reddit, you know, you can download 50,000 journalist emails uh, for a little bit of Reddit gold. Um, oh gosh, I know, keep seeing things like this. Yeah. My my message to everyone is do not do that because here's the worst case scenario. You set up MailChimp, you pay some money because 50,000 names is more than the free account will allow. You send a blast email out to a bunch of journalists who write about a million different topics and you're hoping that some of them write about your one thing. What will actually potentially happen, uh, especially if you include the word today in it, um, is so many journalists will actually hit the spam button on that email mm-hmm. um, that you could get your entire uh, domain blacklisted and then you try and send a contract to a customer to close a deal and all of a sudden you realize nobody's getting your emails because actually you've been blacklisted. Yeah, uh, It could actually affect your entire business because you were foolish enough to think there's a fast way to do PR. Wow, yeah. You know, there is no fast way. You have to do your research, pick the right journalists, Make sure you pick one journalist per publication so that you're not double pitching to two different journalists trying to play them off each other because we do not like that. And you need to get to know us first. And does it help when uh, people approach you if they've read something, you know, if they can cite a past article that you've written? Uh, does that help? 
it depends on how they do it. As with all things in life, if you're respectful about it uh, and you use the right words and you're just being nice about it, then does it help? Um, it certainly doesn't hurt. Let's just put it that way. However, I've seen a lot of wording around uh, previous articles that just comes across as a little bit spammy. And at that point, it definitely hurts yeah. because if it comes across as spammy in any way, yeah, you're just going to get our backs up. But as long as you're nice about it, uh, at least it shows that you've done a modicum of research, which is good. But honestly, if you do your research and you only pitch the relevant stories to the relevant journalists that are at the relevant publications in the first place, you don't need to do too much back referencing. You know, you're you're literally giving them exactly what they want and what they write about. So you're being as relevant as is humanly possible anyway. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe that about the, about Reddit. Um, I, I really can't. I mean, are you noticing, is that a trend generally, do you think, across the media that there are more pitches coming through? Or do you think this is just in in the tech media or just for digital publications? So I don't, I don't really see any massive trends in terms of I'm getting way more pictures or way fewer pictures than I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm afraid it's just the, the nature of the beast. But I do still note that uh, I, I get probably just as many off-topic pictures as I've ever got. You know, I just don't know what goes through people's minds sometimes. I really don't. I mean, it, it just doesn't take much to research what I write about. I write about, you know, emerging technologies, you know, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, blockchain technology, you know, things that are fresh and new and interesting that haven't been done before. You know, occasionally I'll profile, uh, you know, female founders, female VCs. Occasionally I'll uh, profile really interesting businesses that I think have got something important to say, but most of my stuff is news. Yeah. You know, why would you send me a pitch for your uh, really odd little robot-powered ball that's covered in fluff that's designed to sweep up your hardwood floors when you leave the house automatically? <laughs> that's not me. And, you know, I've never written a story about anything even remotely close to that. So have you got any examples of any uh, particularly good or particularly bad or particularly funny pitches that you can share with us? Um, the amount of times I've been uh, pitched sex toys is re- remarkably unusual. You know, huge amount of times. Uh, again, just a, a message to the world. I don't write about these things. Uh, I have no issue with them, no problem with them, but there's better writers out there for uh, sex toys. So, uh, you know, I think the trick is, you know, I have really good relationships with a number of really good PR companies. And by good relationships, I mean... They've taken the time to get to know me as an individual, and they do that with all of the people on their lists. When they send me a pitch, it is different to when they send a different journalist a pitch because it's customized to me because they know what I'm looking for. They know uh, what I need to write the story, so they give me everything I need right there up front. The, The source of the reason why they're so good is because those companies have put the time in to get to know me, not just on a journalistic level, but at a personal level too. And that's what makes the best pitches. Just emailing me out of the blue, um, even if it's completely on topic, emailing me out of the blue, it might be that you don't know what I'm looking for. You'll blast me with all sorts of stuff in an email, which might be on topic, but because it's overwhelming, I'm still going to pass. 
you know, I'm looking for a good quality pitch that has an interesting subject line. And most importantly, if you don't tell me what it is, what it does, and what problem it solves in the first two to three mm. paragraphs. Great advice. Right? I, I can't do anything with it. And I'll tell you why. Here's how I manage 200 pitches a day. I've got my lovely Google Pixel 4. And one of the things I love about Android is that in the notifications, when I get an email, I swipe down and I can see the subject line and two to three paragraphs of the email. I can either swipe that message away and it stays in my inbox, or I can hit the archive button and I'll never see it again. Um, if I'm going to pass on a pitch, I hit archive. If I'm going to look at it later, I'll hit swipe it. Mm. And then two to three times a day, I will go ahead and look at my inbox and have a deeper look at the things I swiped. Um, so really, you've got like two, maybe three paragraphs to catch my attention and, and get me interested, because otherwise, I'm just going to hit the archive button and I'll never even read the rest of your email. Gosh. I could do with that management system of my emails, actually. Maybe I'll check that, the, that pixel uh, system out. Um, and, and finally, is there a, a particular time of day that's better to pitch? No, absolutely not. And if I told you that there was, then that would then become the worst time of day if everybody followed that advice. Yeah, yeah. It, this is the folly of any research that says, you must post on social media at this time of day or you must hunt on product hunt at this time of day or any of these things. Because if everybody followed that advice, it would become the worst time of day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no such thing as a best time of day. And the less we can talk about best time of day in any context, uh, the better it is for everybody because we won't make that particular time the worst in the future. Yeah. Um, and before I go, I just want to ask you about, you know, because you you juggle your role of managing editor of Grit Daily uh, with being the co-founder of the Badass Empire. <laughs> so can you just tell us in a nutshell what that is? And then secondly, how you actually manage uh, to do both? Yeah. Um, and we say both, but actually it's, it's kind of interesting because, yeah, I'm a journalist, an editor, um, a public speaker. Uh, I'm currently running six startups at the same time, of which Badass Empire is one. Wow. I'm writing uh, some books at the moment. And uh, in my spare time, I like to do photography. And uh, also, I'm writing and recording an album because I'm a, a multi instrumentalist singer songwriter. Oh, my goodness. You just put everyone listening <laughs> to shame because how on earth do you fit all that in? Uh, well, that's what my uh, next book is going to be about. Um, you know, I believe that the way we work is is bad for our physical and mental health, and it's actually bad for results, uh, clarity, inspiration, creativity, and uh, error levels. Um, I believe the way that we traditionally work is is actually uh, pretty awful and needs complete readjustment. So I'm writing a book about that. First of all, and the most important thing, without giving too much away, because obviously uh, once I get my book out, I would really yeah. love people to buy it. Um, but the one thing that everyone can stop doing immediately uh, and start doing instead is single tasking. I and totally agree. There are so many gold standard studies um, around neurology, neuroscience, psychology that actually suggest that apart from a few functions of the body where multitasking is a must, such as walking and breathing simultaneously, for example. Mm -hmm. That helps. Um 
Multitasking is not something that human beings are actually good at. And actually worse than that, uh, multitasking does actually damage your brain. Uh, and also when you multitask, the recovery time between switching uh, back and forth to tasks can be anything up to, you know, 20 minutes to an hour of recovery time as you flip around between tasks. So yeah, that's a topic I'm so interested in. I mean, we're getting we're getting way off PR strategy here, but I had to ask you that because I'm I'm so interested in that and I and I really really agree with it by the way. There's a lot more to it than that because otherwise it's going to be a very short book, but uh you know, that's something that everyone listening to this can do, including all the PR people by the way because I know it's a tough job. Goodness me, I know it's a tough job, but um if you are if you are switching to single tasking in PR, um, I believe you will get better results than if you're constantly bouncing around between clients and journalists and, you know, everything all of the time. Um, and I believe it's possible to single task in a PR environment too. The trouble is, though, and I speak this because I'm an ex-journalist and I used to work in newsrooms, the news is so reactive. Like if you're pitching features, I guess, yes, you can be single task focused. But if you're pitching something that's to go for today's paper or like to, for tomorrow's paper, you're pitching an op-ed that's in response to a story, then you've got to react to those emails that are coming from, you know, if an editor says, yes, please, we'll have a piece from so-and-so, you've got then got to react. So you've got to be on your email. And Yes, but you're reacting to a story. So you're therefore still single tasking. Your task is to write that story up and as quickly as possible so that you get it out in the news before anybody else does. You know, you're not writing five stories simultaneously and bouncing between different tabs and trying to come up with you know, five sets of texts all at the same time. You're literally doing it serial, not parallel. That's that's the job, right? Yeah, yeah you have to be reactive, but reactive isn't the same as single tasking. Mm, interesting. Stuart, thank you so much. And just before we go, where can listeners uh, find you if, if they want to either follow you or if they want to pitch to you? Uh, so you'll find me on stuartrogers.me, S-T-E-W-A-R-T-R-O-G-E-R-S. Um, you'll find me everywhere on social media, typically under The Real SJR. And unlike most journalists, uh, I am very happy to receive extremely on-topic well in advance of embargo or launch date pitches via social media. Thanks for listening to the Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching. <laughs>